you know, we, we cover a lot of different topics with a lot of the curriculum that we deliver here. And, you know, certainly something that is a thread through all of it, you know, whether people show up to do a Keys for Exceptional Living course or, you know, a deep dive into yoga teacher training, it, every single curriculum touches on addiction and um, habits, patterns, addictions. And, you know, the link that I wanted to make in kind of part two, part B, uh, is that, you know, the root of addiction ultimately is unhealed trauma, unhealed uh, either adverse childhood experiences or um, cultural trauma, uh, you know, severe trauma. Daniela was saying that Kim Beekman says big T's and little T's mm -hmm. trauma. And, and that when those trauma memories are kicked up or when they're just, you know, kind of frenetically under the surface and sometimes we feel them and sometimes we're, we're not feeling into them, um, it either consciously or unconsciously, we turn to habits, patterns, and addictions in order to not be in the experience of the, of the feeling of that trauma or processing of that trauma. So that was what I, I thought that would be important mm -hmm. to chat about today mm -hmm. for sure. And the connections between those things, something as simple as, um, you know, uh, you know, unhealed childhood things might, um, might then play out later on in life that your self-soothing, um, your habit pattern or addiction is, is eating, you know, is, is turning to something else to fill you. If there was an experience, you know, in your younger life of, of not feeling filled, not feeling, um, nourished or supported or seen, uh, or maybe even abandonment and loneliness that's residual from earlier on in your life. Uh, and so just starting to notice, like, where do you turn? What do you turn to? When do you turn to? And then what might be the root trauma of that? Yep. And, and, you know, oftentimes traumas can look and sound like something that we decided about ourselves in our life or something that we believed another assert, asserted about us. So, um, most of our traumas, whether they're big T's or little T's, then We'll fan the flames of our deepest worries and concerns is that we're going that we're going to be alone or separate that we're abandoned that we're excluded or that we believe true that we're unworthy we're flawed we're not good enough we're a fraud or a phony and that we worry and believe true and believe true at times we're just we're not good in, we're not good we're not doing enough we're failing so when these when we experience these as true, when we, when we believe those thoughts true, they're so uncomfortable to believe. Mm. It's, that's, it's so painful to believe that true. And over time, and when we continue to believe that, especially when we're not consciously aware that that's what we're believing in our internal dialogue, it makes logical sense that you want to turn to something outside of yourself to change the way you're feeling. Yeah. Because it's so uncomfortable. It's, it's, you know, I, um, throughout my life, I experienced lots of different habits, pattern, patterns, and addictions. I probably about three different points in my life, I would have stints with alcohol. And those were, that was very specific, a coping strategy and medicine for really for either navigating an intense anger or intense grief or intense uh, fear. Cause they were like, they were intense stints with it. 
and then they would end, right? Mm -hmm. So they were very situation specific. Um, and then over, over like probably 20 years on and off, I, tobacco was my go-to, right? So we can, we, we can find that even our habits, patterns, and addictions make sense. There's a logic underneath them. Mm -hmm. They, 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 <clears throat> they will connect to your dosha in a, in a really, in a precise way, mm -hmm. as well as what you're thinking and believing true. So for example, why tobacco was such a perfect fit for me was because it was what I would turn to in, um, it, it, it was how I was managing air imbalance, uh, so much busyness, uh, a lot of single momming and children and trying to make ends meet and, and a, a really like a, a tough lifestyle that I had to keep going. It's like, you can't slow down. You otherwise right. felt it, I believed everything would just sink and collapse mm -hmm. uh, or the power would get shut off right. or any of those <clears throat> things. Or do I have enough to get gas money to get to work until I get that next paycheck? Years of that on and off. So tobacco was where I would get my me time it's a breathing it's a practice. Pranayam. It's a pranayam. Yep. Um, and it was where I would step outside because I didn't want to smoke inside. So there I at least got to, it was like a meditation, a pranayam. Ritual. Ritual, exactly. So all that. So, and then when I used alcohol, it was to tend to grief, sorrow, and anger. And so that fulfilled a very, because I was experiencing so much pain mentally, it would help me a couple of drinks would help me to remember what it felt, what my true nature felt like mm -hmm. just that right amount of alcohol would be like, okay, my true nature is joy. Again, I could remember my, my essence, but then of course you keep drinking, thinking I'm just going to sustain that level. You know, right. you, you don't realize, or you don't get the logic of no, you'll just get more drunk and then make messes. So your, our patterns and addictions, really there's a logic to them. Mm -hmm. And so, I think one of the kindest approaches to um, tending to our habits, patterns, and addictions is bringing some uh, understanding and some compassion to what function are they serving, right? For Christopher, he has talked about this with many of you before, mm -hmm. about for him, his medicine was marijuana. I didn't, that wasn't my go-to because it didn't, it just was annoying. Um, for him, because he was such a Pitta, do, fiery do, do, person, do, do. doing, 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 future, future, future. Marijuana temporarily brings you into the living, the delight, wonder, curiosity, magic of the living moment. Like, oh my gosh, this beetle is so exciting and fascinating. And I can sit here for 20 minutes and do a be with the beetle and be like, whoa. And it would, it would render him unable to really talk. So it just, it stopped everything for him, right? And so that's where, of course, if we don't know how to do these things for ourselves, why we have a habit <laughs> or a pattern or an addiction because it's, a, it's an attempt to experience what it is we really long to learn for ourselves, and yet we don't quite know yet how to. Mm -hmm. So our habits make sense. They really, really do. Mm -hmm. um, and, it's, and it's a traumatic way of living, just not being aware of what we're thinking and believing true in, internally and um, those inner dialogues reactivate and reinforce everything we've believed about ourselves that has been stressful in our entire life. So um, I hope that there's something useful in, in, in that for you, that perspective. And over time, for me, 
where I don't ascribe to the model because it's not my lived experience whatsoever that once an addict, always an addict, is that through the processes of, you know, getting yourself with a really skillful um, healer, uh, mental health professional, uh, psychotherapist that's steeped in mm -hmm. these practices of meditation, contemplation, inquiry, um, my path to freedom from habits, patterns, and addictions was really anchored fully in the processes of inquiry, on meeting my mind with understanding, be, it, bringing a pristine awareness to what I'm thinking and believing true, knowing what I'm saying about myself and others, that, that process, and through the work of Byron Katie. That was, my, that was my true freedom. And so what happens over time when you meet your mind with such understanding, your habits quit you. Like they literally, I didn't have to do anything to be free of tobacco. And I have to tell you, I couldn't imagine being a non-smoker. Like I literally, I, I was twice when I was pregnant and then nursing, but as soon as that window, it's like you do it, you know, for, for some other cause. Yeah, an external. But then as soon as I could go back to smoking, it, fa it found its way back into my life. I couldn't really fathom how I would not be a smoker. Mm -hmm. And what I just noticed as I was di as I was immersing in inquiry, my the space between smoking got wider and wider. The cigarettes I rolled got thinner, and I just wanted less of them. It was effortless, and not having drank or smoked for years now, I've gone through life stuff that's been the most challenging thing, the most challenging events I've ever navigated, and never once during those experiences did the thought ever arise. Oh, I'd love a cigarette right now. Mm -hmm. Not once, or did I ever think, oh, I'd really, I could really go for a drink right now. So, um, yeah, those are my thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. All my opinions and my experience. Being in yeah. um, and on the path mm -hmm. of, you know, spirituality, yoga, contemplation, awareness, whatever you know your whatever you're calling the path for you. Mm -hmm. um, and and certainly noticing where we have that like of mm -hmm. the whole spiritual bypassing situation, right? Like, um, you know, oh, just you choose know, joy. Choose joy. We're gonna send you, you know, oh, sending you blessings. Uh, you know, um, I, I'm sure there is a plan. You know, th those kind of words, mm -hmm. and also to be mindful when we think that that sharing those kind of sentiments with people experiencing and navigating trauma grief mm -hmm. uh, just a really mm -hmm. shitty day mm -hmm. and and if we those of us who are on this path have that urge to be like oh well you know i'm sure tomorrow will be better or, or whatever the not helpful um spiritual understanding of their situation is you know sometimes it's it's as simple as as being with someone's emotion that is difficult mm -hmm. and saying thank you for your vulnerability. Mm. Oh, that's a great one. Liz is saying pet peeve statement. Just let it go, Liz. Move on. Yep. Yeah. Mm, yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there are, t here, here's the beauty of this, of this journey. Also, again, just my opinion and my experience is that when we uncover and untangle the things that we can't just let go of. Like, like we can either let go of something or we can't, 
Right. If it keeps coming back, it means it's, too, this is the image I have in my brain. It's like, you know, when you blow bubbles, you sometimes, if you just keep going, it just makes a bubble glob, like lots of bubbles stuck to bubbles. And if you try to blow that off your hand, it doesn't it like work. It's too heavy. to the bottom it part just, of your Yeah, hand. it just goes zoop and then it hangs, right? <laughs> now, when you blow one bubble and it lands on your hand, that one is light enough that you can release it. So, so when we start to unpack, untangle, meet with understanding, get with the right processes and guides to help us with our healing and integration of our life experiences, um, then they do get lighter. Then our muscle in truth is much stronger than that little annoying criticism of, see, you're, you're a failure. You can be like, oh, I just heard you see you're a failure story pop mm -hmm. back up. Hang on a second. Is that really true? Am I really, is this a, am I really a failure right now? No, I'm not. And you can let it go, but we can only let it go when we authentically can let it go. Yeah. Not from a place of I'm going to just tuck it back down, right? That's not letting it go. So you want to pay attention to the things that keep coming back. <clears throat> the reason they're coming back is because they're like, well, I'm just going to recycle back through so that I get your attention. Right. I love when by one of my teachers, Byron Katie, she describes all the stressful things we think and believe about ourselves and others. She says, I liken them to like crying children inside of us. They're like crying babies. She calls them the crying babies. And what would you do if you came upon a crying baby? You wouldn't like just be like, be quiet or, you know, you wouldn't be cruel. You would immediately scoop it up and tend to it. You would do some assessment, triage. Why are we crying? Is it hunger, tired, injury, diaper? Um, so we want to meet our mind with that same awareness and gentleness and patience that a, that a, a healed, clear mother <laughs> would meet a, a scared child, right? So mm. this, it's, it's like these thoughts that we have and believe true are like scared children inside of us. And the reason they keep coming back is because they're trying to get our attention. They're like something in you, me, is not reconciled. And anything that is unreconciled will, will own us because it'll play out in your life typically in your relationships, because we're not monks and nuns, we're householders, we're on the path of relationships. So whatever isn't reconciled inside, whatever's not healed has to play out in your life because healing is determined. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a beautiful thing in itself. Um, there's a beauty to the whole design of, it's like your soul is here to experience its freedom and its fulfillment and its joy. And anything that stands in the way, the barriers, is that which is not reconciled inside. And one of the things that's at the heart of our healing is forgiveness. So it was, <clears throat> it was also, you know, such a gift for me on the other end too, of being compassion, uh, being filled with compassion, being compassion. Mm -hmm. When um, I was witnessing people returning again and again and again, to potentially toxic patterns, behaviors, addictions, relationships, over and over and over and over again. Once I really understood that that pattern was, was a part of something much deeper and rooted in a different part of that person, uh, my ability to hold space and to just listen and to just mm. allow and to not advise anybody to do anything, um, 
was it, it just grew and it, it really came to the front of my experience with being with another person it's like you know this is this is such a gift that i get to hold and and be present for someone as they process all of this i don't have to be attached to their healing their outcome their um you know their their awakening their anything i i just get to know that um that patterns habits and addictions are coming often from a place of trauma and um and and go right to that crying baby analogy too you know like that that i can just be with that i can just in in total compassion and perfect love and and not uh not have judgment so how do you help someone near near and dear with the healing process Mm. <laughs> I, I mean, for me, it's just listening. It, it's just listening and really getting clear with myself that everyone has their own path and their own speed at mm -hmm. which they are walking that path. So the most helpful thing, um, the most useful thing I can do and the way that I can be of service is to be open to be compassionate, to be loving and understanding for wherever they are on their path right now. Because I don't know. I don't know what their next step is. And saying that, I get to model how I do my own healing. And human beings learn so much better from yeah. modeling and watching modeled behavior than they do somebody handing them a prescription. You know, like like in my mind, it's the doctor from the 60s who's smoking and then telling you not to, you know, eat things that are high in cholesterol. You know, like <laughs> like what, what are we actually seeing somebody else model in their day-to-day -day lives? That is often the most inspiring, um, useful thing that we can do is, is to be that clear vessel committed to our own path.